When I was in elementary school, there was a project about doing a family tree. And I went home and I got to work on it. And turns out on my dad's side of the family, there was someone who was into these family trees. And it was really cool because I had to do minimal work and found out some interesting things. I found out I was related, now, now brace yourselves. I am related to two presidents. Who said that? You're my favorite person now. I am related to John Adams and John Quincy Adams. And, and when that showed up on my favorite, Dan's looking at me like I'm making it up. It's, it's true, man. When I shared that with the class, they were duly impressed to be in the presence of a relative of two presidents. And I got a smiley face on my project, and I got an E for excellent, and I remember thinking, who, who cares? This is really, truly irrelevant. Well, turns out that most people don't think like me, and there's big business on this, this genealogy and family tree stuff. And people pay good money to find out where they're from and who's in their family tree. And, and I realized as I was looking at our text today that God loves family trees. And if you don't know your family tree, you may be in really bad shape because the problem is we stop too soon and don't go back far enough. See, I am related to two presidents, contrary to someone who doesn't believe me, but I'm also related to a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer. And you all are too. And if you don't know it, you have a problem. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Welcome back. Me is back in full force. I am talking about Romans chapter 5. And I'm in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now guys, this is really stinking confusing, but we'll keep going. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought what? Praise God, justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't be sad, it gets better. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is one of the most complex sections of Scripture in all of Romans. So I'm going to skip it, and we'll just keep moving. Where did sin come from? You ever, you ever ask that question? Where, where did sin come from? I left all my notes up here. You know, the answer is right there in the text. Just as sin came into the world 
through one man. So where did sin come from? Came through man. Satan had the product and Adam delivered it to the marketplace. You ever ever read Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 3. So there's this garden and there are these two people in the garden and God gives him this beautiful stuff and he says, one command, that tree with that fruit, don't eat it. One command. Satan comes in and he, he starts deceiving as he deceives. He says, surely, if you eat of that fruit, you will not surely die. And Eve looks at it and goes, well, it does look pretty yummy. And Satan goes, come on and eat it. And do you know what Eve does? If you guys don't know that one, we got, we got to send you down with Mrs. Byerly. Do you, know, do you know what she does? She eats. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Do you know what her husband does? He didn't even get tempted. Eve just presented it to Adam and Adam ate. And God said, if you eat that fruit, you will what? So Adam and Eve immediately dropped dead in the Garden of Eden. End of story. Go in peace. They did, actually. Physically, Adam would live a lot of more years. But spiritually, you know what happened? They died. In the Jewish faith, a lot of times when a Jew comes to faith, their families have mock funerals for them. Did you know that? And the mock funerals are the family saying to the Jewish kid, adult, you're dead to me. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you are dead to me. We just got, it just got real in here, didn't it? I thought God's a cuddly grandpa. Adam sinned. Death entered through Adam and corruption came to the entire human race so that Adam had how many arms? It's not a trick question. Bear with me. How many legs? How many ears? How many noses? God, you. Oh, you're fall for it. One nose. How many arms do you guys have? Legs, ears, noses. Do you know why? Because that's how God made Adam. You inherit physically from Adam. Adam became corrupted by sin. When you were born, the psalmist tells us, Psalm 51.5, that iniquity I was conceived in my mother's womb. That's not an illegitimate birth. There's actually no such thing as an illegitimate birth. I'll let you dig into that one. They're illegitimate parents, not illegitimate births. Okay? But in iniquity, I was conceived in my mother's womb. What that means is the moment you were conceived, you were corrupted. Follow me here. Did anyone here ever lie? Do you know why you lie? Because you're a liar. You're not a liar because you lie. Anyone here ever sin? Do you know why you sin? Because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You following with me here? When you're born, you're born in sin, and when you're born, you're dead to God. It's like a Dr. Seuss scary book. That's the state we all find ourselves in. But, but look at what it says here. Jump to verse 15. Can't even find it. The free gift is not like the trespass. Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life you couldn't. Coats off. He lived a perfect life you couldn't. He died the death you deserved. But, but listen to me. How many, watch this, this is scary. 
How many sins did Adam commit before God cursed the entire human race? Wow. How many sins have you committed today? Cheryl admitted to one. She didn't want to come. No, I'm kidding. How many sins have you all, and you all are liars, so you have two. You didn't want to come and you didn't say it. How many sins have you committed today? I don't need a number. But if God condemns a whole human race for one sin and God doesn't change, how do you think he feels about your one sin? Chew on that for a minute. Jesus paid the price for that one sin of Adam and for every sin for all who would believe of all time, past, present, and future. How great the wrath of God that was poured upon the Son of God so that you might become children of God. How easily we sin. I don't want to do it, Jesus. God cursed all of humanity for one sin. How lightly do we take sin? But how lightly do we take grace? Look, look, looky here. The free gift is not like the trespass. Many died through one man's sin. Look at this. If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, I was related to a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer and two presidents. And God came while I was still a sinner in the wrong family tree, and he put me in the right family tree. He put me into the household of God. He gave me a new father. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new name. Are you all with me? You all with me? If Adam, listen, uh, side note. If Adam ain't a real literal historical figure in a real literal garden that ate a real literal piece of fruit, we literally got no reason to be here. Because Jesus can't pay the price if Adam didn't cause the product. You guys with me? Who? Who? Who's your, who's your family? Where, where are you from? I'm German, Dutch. Japanese, Taiwanese, Egyptian, Mediterranean, Uzbeki. What, what's your, you know what mine is? I'm related to Yahweh. Jesus Christ saved me, and he pulled me and put me on a new family tree. In John 15, I get to abide in him. Ancestry.com ain't got nothing on me. That was free, and it's true, and it's full, and you need to know it so you might have the joy set before you. Now, now let's get to verse 20 here. I'm flying all around. Look at verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace hooper abounded, super abounded, all the more. If you go back to verse 13, Sin was in the world before the law. You know what he's saying there? Before God gave the law through Moses, people died. Do you know why they died? Not from breaking the law, from being born in sin. Do you know the purpose of the law, brothers and sisters? What's that? To show you what a sinner you are. 
Sherry, Sherry's got, you, you, she gets a superstar. So many people mess that one up. We think the purpose of the law is to show us what to do to make God happy. Oh, 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 hold up. You know why I hate Ten Commandment monuments? Because you put in front of people, here's why you're going to hell. That's what you're saying. You don't put the cross in Colossians in front of it, please stop. Or, best case scenario, you get a nice self-righteous pharisaical legalist who's comfortable to live around and goes to hell. The law came, first and foremost, to convict of sin, to show you what God commands, and guess what? You can't do it. But, but, but wait, don't lost people sometimes do the right thing? You can say yes. Don't they outwardly do the right thing? You know what the Lord says about that in Isaiah? You're Righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags to me. The law came to convict us of sin, to let you know, Evelyn and Rich, y'all related to a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer, and you're going to hell. Think about when a baby's born. Do you know what? We say, oh, that's so awesome. But you know what we should say? Oh, he or she is dead to God. Now, careful, there's follow-up there. Don't, don't, don't. But we are all born in a state of being dead to God. Do you have any lost friends? If not, I'm going to cut us early and go make a friend. You got any lost friends? Do you know what God thinks of your lost friends? You're dead to me. But you know what? Do you know how much God hates sin? Do you know, do you know one sin cursed the entire human race? Think of how much God hates sin. But there's one thing God in his heart has a more intense fervor for than his hatred for sin. It's his love for sinners. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, what is, what's the big deal with eating a piece of fruit? Like, I mean, let's just get, let's get real in here for a minute. They ate a piece of fruit. Big whoop. I mean, it's a stinking piece of fruit, right? What's the big deal? It's just a piece of fruit. It's not like they killed somebody. They just ate fruit. But God said what? And do you know what happens when God says no and you do it anyway? As a a professor of mine, Don Carson says, the de-godding of God. It's at root. All sin is at root idolatry. It is sedition and rebellion against the living God. The holy, just, righteous, awesome God must destroy and address all sin. It ain't just a piece of fruit. It's rebellion, sedition, idolatry. Do you know who you are apart from Christ? Do do you know your genealogy? Did I mention I'm related to two presidents? I'd like to go back and tell my class I'm also related to a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer by birth. But praise God that Jesus came to adopt people. He came to save sinners. He came to give us new life in his name. If you don't know you're related to Adam and you ain't a good person who God's trying to to bring up the good out of, you're dead to God. There's nothing good in you. You're worthless, hopeless, helpless. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still what? Still what? Christ died for who? Us? If while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Whoa. Do you see the good news? For God so loved the world, full of dead sinners, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes or trusts in him would not perish, but have what? Do y'all see the magnificence of what's going on here? We're all about genealogy. We're all about who we're related to. We're all about the family name. We're all about reputation. Well, God ain't impressed. But God came to give you a new family name. And you get to go out and tell people, who's your daddy? His name is Yahweh. And he owns the world. In elementary school, I love to say, my daddy could beat up your daddy. And he could. Kids would mess with me, and they'd be like, I'm going to get my brother to punch you. i said, say, you get your brother, I'll get my dad. Well, I'm getting my dad. Well, my dad could beat up your dad. My dad could whoop your daddy now. You know who my daddy is? Yahweh. King of kings and Lord of lords. This just doesn't sound fair, though. How can we be found guilty for what Adam did? Was anybody there? Did anybody eat the fruit? It's not fair. God, I, I mean, kill Adam, I don't care. But, but me? I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I'm a nice person. Anybody here a nice person? You, you must be perfect. Is he is perfect? Now, here's the kicker. Anybody there when Jesus died? Anybody buried with Jesus? Anybody rise with him? Well, listen, I did. In a very real sense, by grace through faith, I was with Jesus. And I was with Jesus because I was with Adam, and I needed a Jesus to come and save me. Amen? You want fair, or you want grace and mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you do not deserve in a positive way. This is unimaginable. Anybody ever do a genealogy? Right? Anybody know their hereditary stream? Anybody know their great-grandmother ten times removed? Some people do. It's pretty cool. Some people think. I still think it's irrelevant at ten generations. I want to go back to that original generation. When God spoke in Genesis and he made one man and one woman. You want me to give you a wonderful side note, church? How many races are there? Amen. There's one race, and it's called human. And so often we screw up our genealogies, and we identify different races of humanity. Jesus came to reconcile one race to himself. Do you want to know there is no inferior nor superior race? There is a human race, and Jesus became part of the human race and came to save human sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Amen? My friends, you are far worse than you could ever have imagined. And Christ has made you far more wonderful than you can ever comprehend. So, so give me a minute here. You say you, you've been talking for a few. Stick with me. I'm talking to myself now. Hang in there. I want you to think for a minute. How many things do you want to do when Jesus tells you to do something else? 
Now think about what you're doing when you do them. Jesus, I don't want to go to church and hang around those people. I don't like them very much. Well, guess what? That's not me talking. Guess what? God cursed the entire human race for one sin. Well, Jesus, I want to spend my Monday differently than what you want me to do. Guess what? God cursed the entire human race for one sin. I want you to feel the weight of sin crushing down on you here. Because what you do when you sin is you bring condemnation upon yourself and other people are affected by this. But listen to me, where grace, where sin abounded, do you know what abounded so much more? Do you hear me here? Sin abounded, but grace super abounded. So as you crush under the weight of sin and disgust and dishonor and, and idolatry, and you know that God hates your sin and you're dead to him and there's nothing you can do. And right when he's about to just hit you that one last time, Jesus steps in and says, stop, hit me. Do you see that? Grace super abounds. It's kind of hard to keep on sinning when you understand who you are in Christ and why Christ came. The law came to convict of sin, but then it shows you how to live. If you're related to a drunken farmer and a, a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer only, you can't keep the law. You can't. But if you're saved by grace through faith, and brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what you will do? Guess what you will do? You will keep the law. Not because you have to, but because you can't help but to. If you are saved, when God says do, do you know what you do? You do, as evidence of him being done. You see what I'm saying there? When, when Greg returns back to base, and his commanding officer says, do this, Greg doesn't say, well, I'm just not up for it today, sir. <laughs> when God says do this, guess what? Do it. His commanding officer ain't nothing compared to my commanding officer because my commanding officer is far more powerful but loves me a whole lot more than his. His best interest is in my favor. Do you see that? And I'm his child, but I'm serving at his good pleasure under his command. Because he saved me, if you will. He recruited me to enlist me in the army of God as a child of the household of God who saved to live for the glory of God. Hoo-wee! My friends, we're going to start an ancestry thing on the website. People pay 40 bucks, and I'm just going to write back, drunk sailor, crooked farmer. <laughs> and now I'm going to give them the gospel. Because that's what it all boils down to. Listen, you, you are all born in Adam. And if you are in Adam, you will, starts with an S, ends with an N-I in the middle. Sin, yeah. And you will continue sinning because that's all you can do. That's what lost people do. They, they can do nothing other than sin. But if you're in Christ, do you know what you will do? Somebody say, you'll still sin. Yeah, you will still sin, because we're living in the midst of a battle. But you know what? You're not captive to sin. You will say, I don't want to. And listen to me. If you don't say, I don't want to a lot, you're deceiving yourself. But I can. 
and I will, by grace, through faith, walk in obedience to the commandments of God if I am saved. Amen? Mercy. Jesus came and in mercy saved sinners. Amen? But there's so much more. By grace, he has made us a new creation. He has given us a new father. We have received a new heart and we walk in a new power if we are truly saved. Amen? I meet too many stillborn believers out there. We can call them unborn believers. They have facts, but no new heart. They keep Jesus at a distance. They, they hire Jesus as a consultant. They, they see Jesus as an add-on. My, my friends, if that's how you view Jesus, you are not in Christ. You are still in Adam. But the good news is Jesus comes to make people new. He comes to give us life in his name. And when we are saved, are we still in Romans? You know what? Go back to Romans 1. (laughs) I don't feel like I've made my point clear. Let's start over. Romans 5. Through whom we have received grace... And apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Let me show you something scary. Go to the end of Romans. Six, 16 chapters. I love this book. I hope you're loving it too. Look at the very end of 16. Look at the very end of verse 26. Right before the very last verse. Tell me if you've heard this before. To bring about the obedience of faith. Do you know what Romans is all about? It's about bringing the gospel, this glorious good news that God came to save us by himself and for himself as he saves us from himself. And he does this to make a people who will live unto him to represent him to live for his glory. And church, we are so screwed up, and I'm right there with you probably as the most screwed up one amongst you. We keep saying, but God, I want to be glorified. And Jesus is so gracious. He disciplines those he loves. He takes little tiny John by the hand. Come here, buddy. But I want to do what I want to do. Come on. Okay. And then you grow little by little. And you see that Life is found in dying to self. Jesus, just like my daddy who said to me at a very young boy many times, son, I don't care what you want. You will do what I say. Raise up the stakes. But I come to know my Savior is better than my earthly father. It's far more advantageous to be related to Jesus than a drunken sailor and a crooked farmer or even two presidents. You see, guys, we miss this. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. You read the midweek thought? Guess what? He means it. Guess what? You won't want to. But guess what? You can. And if you are saved, you will. You say, but, but, but I don't like Pastor John. Well, you got a problem. Because Pastor John is a child of God most high. And, and, and when God tells his siblings to get along, guess what? Y'all better get along, and you can get along because we're saved by his power to get along for his glory. It doesn't say y'all have to, now rich is easy, so I'll pick on him. It doesn't say everyone feel fondly towards rich. 
What does Jesus tell us to do with rich? Starts with L, ends in E, O, V in the middle. <laughs> we're called to love them. Okay? We're, we're all going to have different relational interactions with people, but this is family. And God tells his family to go out and to gather and to act like his kids because we carry the family name. God tells us, go out and make disciples. We say, but I don't want to. And Jesus goes, oh, Chuck's fine. I'll find other people. No! If, listen, if you're not sharing your faith, you're walking in sin. Did I just say that? Pastors shouldn't say things like that. They could upset people. Listen to me. The reason it's hard to share your faith is because we're all very concerned about us. You have nothing to be concerned about if you're in Christ. And you're not seeing who you were apart from Christ and who you are in Christ and what Christ desires for lost people. Go and make disciples is a joyful command. And I know that some of you are doing that. And here's a dirty little secret. When you share your faith and you disciple people, it's really stinking hard and scary and annoying. Let me just put that on the table. It's not a country club, it's a church. But there is a joy that comes from being used by God for his glory, in his power, that you cannot get enough of. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. He says, give that to me, because he has something better for you. Better, better than a boat, better than a beach, better than a house, better than the cash, better than reputation. He's got joy set before us. Why would he give us joy? Because he is a gracious God. My friends, you, you don't understand whose family you are in by grace through faith. Now, if you remember where we started in Romans 1, we had that fun introduction, we had the gospel in miniature, and then we just got kicked in the teeth. Right there about verse 16, it started to teeter. 18, the wrath of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your resume stinks. You're going to hell. You can do nothing pleasing to God. And you all stuck through that. Praise God for that. Then we turned the corner in three. And we started to see the good news and the new resume and life in his name and righteousness and justification and propitiation. Then we got to five and, and we see faith in action. And here in the second half of five, we see how through one man sin came to all the world and how through one man salvation came to all who would believe in him. Do you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. And at the, at the sound of no other name will people be saved. My, my friends, oh what, there's a song, oh what a friend I have in Jesus. Do you have any idea what a friend you have in Jesus? Do you, do you have any idea? He is all-powerful, all-knowing. All able. He loves you with a love far beyond your comprehension, far beyond your ability to understand. Have you ever felt discouraged? Do not be discouraged. Have you ever been dismayed? Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go by grace through faith. Amen? Well, today we're going to have a little bit of a family, a family dinner, if you will. Some people call it communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. We call it an opportunity to remember until he returns who he is, what he has done, and who we are. Now, where I grew up, there was a big door, and nobody came through the door unless they were invited to come in the door. 
Family had its privileges. We had keys. And if you were in family, in my family, you could come and eat dinner anytime. Well, you know how you got to be a part of my family? My mom and dad had to be responsible for your birth. It was a relatively small family. Well, do you know how you get into the family that allows you to come eat at this table? By your good works. If you do enough good works, no? By, 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 the, right, by the right genealogy in the human nature, if you're tied in through the tribe of Judah, you can cut, right? Do you know what you do to be able to come here? Nothing. Do you know the only way you can get here? Think of it this way. Think of that as being an eternal bliss in the presence of God, okay? And now imagine a 50-mile-long fiery trench filled with the scariest things you could ever imagine. How do you get over the trench? Because that, in essence, is what you're doing when you walk up to this table. Now imagine someone came down and lifted you up and walked through the fiery trench for you and kept you safe above the licking flames and placed you down in the presence of the table. You get a little picture of salvation here. For you are saved by grace through faith so that you can't boast. It is a gift of God. And if you have been saved, if you have been convicted of the fact by the Holy Spirit that you are a fully corrupted sinner, we live in a world full of sinners and we think it's not that big a deal. It's just fruit. It's just a little lie. It's just stealing something from the store. It's just fudging the taxes a little bit. It's just hating someone or, or neglect. Listen to me. It is idolatry at root and it is a wicked offense in the eyes of a sovereign and perfect God. If you understand how vile your sin is and how superabundant the grace of Christ is to live the perfect life you couldn't, to die the death you deserve, and three days later to rise from the dead where God the Father put his stamp of approval on the finished work of Christ. And if you've trusted in him alone for salvation, you will walk in obedience to him as evidence of the saving work of Christ. You have been brought from that distance to this distance over a cavernous, disgusting, vile pit of torture and famine and flames to be brought into the presence of God for all of eternity. So if you have trusted in Christ, by grace through faith, we do this in remembrance of him until he returns. Do you ever forget that truth? We talked last week about, or two weeks ago, I don't remember when, of how too often we think of Jesus as a historical figure who got left back in the first century. He didn't get left back there. But he's also coming back here. Do, do, you, all, do you all know that? that? That that's not some sort of allegory? That's a, that's a historical reality. I'm interested to see the cable news networks when Christ returns. Hopefully I'm, hopefully I'm not watching cable news when he returns, if you know what I mean. But are you living in light of the fact that he will return? And that, and that when he rises and ascends again, you will go with him? That, that this is not what you were made for. You are sojourners simply passing through, and we're passing through to make much of God. And we do this in remembrance of him so that he might strengthen us for his name's sake, so that we might live in a way that brings honor to the family name. And this crazy, crazy, gracious God, as we walk in obedience to him, gives joy to us and stores up eternal rewards for us as well. So the choice is simple. Stay related to Adam. Enjoy what the world has to offer. 
and then face an angry God head on. Or hear the offer that Jesus gives of a new family tree. You don't have to be related to two presidents. You can be related to 57 criminals, 32 rapists, 15 uh, treasonous traitors. You, you know, my Lord, when I read his genealogy in the gospel, he has some messed up folk. Let me close with this one point because I don't want to miss it. Do you know why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? We're coming in on Christmas, right? Listen to me. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, Jesus wouldn't be Jesus. If he was born of a man, he would have taken on the sinful nature of Adam. He was miraculously born of a virgin. And don't let the world scoff at this nonsense, because it's not nonsense. It's truth. Adam is a literal, historical figure. Evolution is a myth that will distort the gospel beyond repair. Okay, Adam is real. You know, God, didn't, God didn't save monkeys. God saved people. One race of humanity. Jesus is a real historical figure who really lived a perfect life, died a death, and really rose three days later. And he's really born of a virgin, my friends. The evidence when you look at the world is so clear that scripture is true. Have you ever met a baby that you had to teach to be bad? Do you know why? Babies are born separated from God by their sinful nature. Now we had a question about that Thursday. Someone will bring it up again downstairs. We can talk about it. We, we have God's word, which is truth. And this is the only truly, fully dependable word you will ever hear. And Jesus, through this word, invites all to him who will trust in him to be saved. And he calls those who have trusted in him to do this in remembrance of him. To take of, of the, the bread, to remind us of his body, his life, in the blood of the, of the drink, Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died the death we deserve. But we're not remembering a dead guy. Because, my friends, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen eternally. And so too will you be if you carry the right family tree. Let me pray. I will invite you to come forward down the center to return on the outsides and to take the elements in your own timing. Father God, we just thank you that you are so merciful and gracious. Lord, we are so ignorant of who we were, maybe even of who we are, if we're not yet in Christ. Compared to the people of the world, we're often, often quite nicer than they are. We're more honest and trustworthy. We sin less. We do good things. But Lord, you don't call us to compare ourselves to the world. You call us to compare ourselves to you. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, thank you for coming to, to save us from you. Thank you for adopting us and reconciling us and justifying us. Thank you for making the Father propitious towards us. And Holy Spirit, help us to not just say thanks, but live lives that are thank-filled. Lives that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lives where we die to self and we take seriously, considering day by day in your presence, God, where we are sinning and what you are calling us to. God, this is like an upside-down reality you put us in, but the truth is the world is upside-down. 
And it's disoriented to live right side up in an upside down world. The world tells us fame and fortune and rest and relaxation and reputation bring eternal joy. And you stand over on the other side, Lord Jesus, and tell us death brings joy. Well, death is scary. And Lord, we praise you for the fact that you've been victorious over death. And spiritual death has been conquered completely and immediately for those who trust in you. So Lord, help us live as a people with an eternal focus because of the eternity set before us as people have received eternal life. Lord Jesus, help us to be an Easter people, a people who remember why you came and what your coming meant and why you died and how you rose. And Lord, help us to be a Christmas people, understanding the great news, the good news of joy that will be for all people who will trust in you. And we pray that we might be like those Christmas and Easter nominal Christians out there in the sense that we're Christmas and Easter Christians in the truest sense. That we are a people who truly celebrate Christmas and Easter every day. Our God came. Our God saved. Our God is and will return. And Lord Jesus, until you return, as an act of joyful obedience, we come to your table today. And we pray that you might strengthen us for your glory to walk this path you've placed us on by your grace, that we would remember well the reality of the fact that you came to save us by living a perfect life that we couldn't that you shed your blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, that you willingly laid down your life as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, so that whoever trusts in you would not perish but have eternal life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen us so that we might live a bit like Jesus, according to the Father's will and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, how incredible that that is what you have saved us to. You have saved us to live a fully human life from the subhuman existence we were trapped in. Lord, we pray that you work mightily in our midst for your glory. And we thank you for, for all that you are, that you do, and that you will do for your namesake. Jesus, in your holy and precious name, we humbly pray. Amen. I invite you to come forward down the center and return on the outside.